Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, welcome back to Morning Glory. Uh, a little bit later, predictions of a rugby league halfwit. Um, I've got a feeling things are going to be, it might be a hat trick of losses for Benny Hogarth, but it's time for Movie of the Week. <laughs> Today is a beauty. It's a it's a film that was written and directed by former Rolling Stone journalist Cameron Crowe. Very much an autobiography of a, a period in his life. It is almost famous. He's okay. He is on acid though. I I can't really tell. How do you know when it's kicked in? I am a golden god! Stone Magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. Yeah! <laughs> oh, I tell you what, I don't think they'd blink an eye on Rolling Stone Magazine. Liam Alexander, <laughs> welcome. Morning, guys. How you going? Brother, we're going good. Firstly, mate, how are you going? All right? After the origin, mate. Hey, Liam, it's only a game. It's all right. <laughs> No, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but yeah, I admire the boys, and I reckon they can come back in game two for sure. Mate, we just spoke about that. I agree with you, Liam. Almost famous. I, this is one of the most rewatchable films of the last twenty years. Yeah, I think it's one of those close to perfect films. It's so endearing, and it's so true to like the experience of growing up, of being brought into a a new world and sharing experience with a new group of people. I think it's like. Cameron Crowe is a fantastic writer and director, but I think this is his best movie. He made Jerry Maguire as well. But, it, but Almost Famous has that, like, it's got this personal touch to it. And I know it's based on a lot of his own experiences. So I think that's why a lot of people love it. It's just got a real personal touch to it. Liam, for people that haven't seen it, there'll be a lot of people that haven't. Uh, what's the plot? Yes, yeah, so it's set in the early 70s, uh, one of the great periods of American music. It follows this young... 15-year-old kid called William Miller who has great ambitions to be a rock journalist. So the film follows him basically on his first assignment for Rolling Stone, which is to go on tour with a band called Stillwater and write this honest experience of uh, what the tour is like and what the band members are like themselves, Um, even the negative. So it becomes a bit harder for him to do as he starts to become friends with them and uh, sort of Mm. becomes included in their their band and their their larger group. Now, Cameron Crowe, I listened to an interview. Cameron Crowe, as a young man, went on tour, befriended, went on tour with Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that was his first gig. That was his first gig. Well, that would have been fun. Going in. And, and what's interesting <laughs> about – yeah, he talks about it. He said uh, – he spoke a few of the guys, you know, I mean, the great um, uh, Bonzo, uh, John Bonham, they say, mate, like part, all the things. He, he actually spoke glowingly of a few of the guys. Wasn't a big fan of Jimmy Page. What did he say? He just said uh, – Awful. Awful. Awesome. There you go. Uh, but, Liam, it, it certainly is. Um, and, Liam, the other thing about this movie is that, okay, he gives himself a different name and the band Stillwater, but Lester Bangs, the iconic uh, journalist, like Philip Seymour Hoffman plays him, and he there's no hiding the fact that it is Lester Bangs. 
No, I think, and honestly, Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie, he's in the movie for eight minutes. He was, due to his schedule, he was only allowed to be on set for four days and he had the flu the whole time, apparently. But I think he's like, he honestly nearly steals the movie in those few scenes that he has. Yeah, and Lester Bangs' thing to Cameron Crowe when he was a young journo was, don't befriend the band, write the truth. That was right. You know what I liked about it, Liam? It just, it really captured that period of music. And remember the scene, it's only the very small scene where Bowie comes into the foyer. Yeah. And that that fan, like, loses his shit over it. It's like, that that always stands out for me, that, that scene. Trivia. I had. There is so much trivia on this movie. I'll just. I'll just rattle off a few of them. The original ending of the of Almost Famous was going to involve Neil Young, but Neil Young apparently couldn't do it, so he pulled out. So they got rid of that. Cameron Crowe and Nancy Wilson wrote a lot of the um, a lot of the Stillwater songs. I didn't know he was married to Nancy Wilson, who nah. is part of Heart. Yes, the famous band Heart. Yeah, so yeah. Um, of course, a daughter of Brian Wilson. Isn't oh, it? is it? Yeah, or niece. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Um, obviously, David David Bowie had a had a bigger part in the movie, but that was that was axed. Um, the character of Russell Hammond, uh, so the, the guitarist in the band, he was based on uh, Glenn Frey from oh, the wow. Eagles. Wow. Yeah, right. Frey, yeah, from the Eagles. Um, the young guy who played uh, the rock journal, the main, you know, the antagonist or sorry, the protagonist of the film, he was actually schooled in uh, in classic rock. Because the only CD that he owned when he came in first day was Chumbawamba. Chumbawamba. <laughs> so everyone gathered around and said, okay, here you go, here you go, here you go. Listen to this, listen to this, listen Chumbawamba. to this. Chumbawamba was the only CD. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, we were talking about earlier, he actually wore um, Cameron Crowe's vintage The Guess Who t-shirt. Oh, that yeah. was his from the time when wow. he was touring with him. Yeah. Liam, what do the critics think of it? Well, critically, it was received really well, but the the movie, but the it was it only grossed forty seven million against a sixty million dollar budget, so wow. it was a huge bomb at what? the time. But critics, Roger Ebert, he thought it was the best movie of two thousand. He put it number one on his list that year. He said it was funny and touching in so many different ways, and a lot of critics thought the same way. It was nominated for four Academy Awards, one Best Screenplay. So even though it didn't make its money back and it was considered a bomb at the time, uh, the critics really loved it. I will say, if you're a younger listener and you haven't seen the movie, definitely give it a watch because it's it's almost a, a bittersweet viewing yep. because it comes from a time when journos and the artists or the athletes or whatever could almost had a, a, a trust that just doesn't exist anymore. Like It's completely divided, yep. journo versus player, mm. journo versus artist. Yep. Whereas a movie is a reflection of the time where you know they actually were mates. At Denon. Yeah. When we, and this is in the 90s, our, and we're Bill back this up, we, we didn't have a media manager. So when we would go off after the game, literally the door straight away, about a minute after full time, the door would be open. Would and journos would walk in, grab a beer and sit next to you and have a yarn. Mm. <sighs> is that, Those are the days. But is and, there then, a, and then you'd go back and into the press box and... Try and follow your story in the Tippy dark. Tippy tabby away. If Lester Bang, if Lester, the right keys. Lester right Bang's fun. big thing was don't make friends with the band. That was his advice. Webby, hmm. is have you seen say crime journos get too close to to criminals, well, or do you it's like funny, though, or rubby, the old, or you the know old, the old cop reporters used to drink with the crims and the lawyers 
and the cops all at the same time. Yeah, thin blue line. Yeah, back in the day. It's a, yeah, there's blur. There's blurring definitely in right up. journalism. Yeah, there right. is. But it's not like I oh know. Just not, not as much in, now. But obviously. in sports journalism, there's like you just that's the stupid thing. The media manager has re- or the coach just there's this complete wall between journo and and player. Mm. And if it was there, if they just let us talk to them on a human level, there'd be so much more understanding. Liam, I'm going to put... And the world would be a better place. Definitely. <laughs> Kumbaya. Uh, let's get back to the hate. Um, <laughs> Liam, I'm going to put this to you first. And everyone join after that, right? Would have you written the truth? If you were if you were that young guy, right, and you're on the jet, you're always, if you're travelling with Led Zeppelin, they're so good to you, you've had the greatest time of your life, do you go back and write the truth? Yes. I think... Yeah, I think the character's point of view, like you can see how hard it is for him though. And when you're a young kid as well, when you admire these people that have sort of brought you in and shared an experience with you. But um, I think he almost admires Lester Bangs more and that sort of striving for authenticity in his writing. So I think I think I would sort of lean towards that way as I, well. I'd, but it's really hard. I, can I see, Honestly, yeah. I'd probably quit my job. Because just, yeah. that's your that's your your loyalty should be to the people that you're with 100 in the time. Yeah, and so I would. Yeah. I, there's no. I, I couldn't. You realize this is bus. what a reality the journalists face every day. Mm. Like I, I, so, yeah. I, I'm going to behave myself. I'm not out with you now, have you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Luckily, we can't remember <laughs> what's happened. It's yeah. all blurry. Ah, <laughs> uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like, what would you? Yeah. Do well, I I don't know because, like, I love Led Zeppelin. So if I was Parting with Led Zeppelin, you know, but it's like from the, you know, not maybe not a, a journalist like Webby, but from a TV producer perspective, I've, you know, you mm. always keep things to yourself because, yeah, you know, I'm around people and I've always remained very loyal to the people I work with because some things don't need to be out but there. You, but you produced, you pro- there's a difference between producing TV, absolutely, doing a product to writing. It'd be it? very hard, like in that situation, if you're like, say you're on the road with a a band like Rolling, like uh, Led Zeppelin, like to know what you can use and what you can't. See, mm. I'm as a I, I like color. I see a lot in like everything. I see I see I see meaning in so many small little things. Um, and like if you've got that privilege access, then it would be so hard not to use all those great little anecdotes and things that you observe. But if they've invited you into their inner sanctum and you're there, then they've got to expect it. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good or bad. Could you go the other way of because they have given you the privilege, you should respect that privilege? Well, but how do you know what's what's usable or what's not? I, I think you could get a vibe, surely. I, I think it's up to the journalist's skill set as a writer to know what is beyond the pale and what isn't. Well, no, but to be honest, you have to – yeah, you, you do. But a lot of it comes down to trust and a lot of it would come down to going up saying – this is this is how I do it. I've been on flying the wall for, mm. with teams and stuff like that in dressing rooms, in in um in in coaches boxes with Bennett, and for me, I always will go just to maintain that trust. Go up to them and say, "Listen, I observed this. Do you want to talk about it? Can I use it? If I use it in this certain way, is that going to be all right?" And they go, mm. "I find that's mm. that's yeah, more yeah. helpful." Yeah, maybe the week's turned into a journalism one Liam. Like one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Is there better? Is there ever been a better use or a placement of a song 
than Tiny Dancer in this movie and where it sits. I was thinking about that, and I don't think there is. I think that scene shows just the power of music, even beyond just the using that song, just the power of music and what it can have on people. I think like the band were in a bad place, and as soon as that comes on, brings them together, they all start singing. And it's just like it is the perfect song for that scene, and I honestly don't think it could work with anything else. I have to go home. Count the headlights on the highway. You are home. Lay me down and she's so living. It had a busy day today. It's funny, isn't it? Like the, the, the song itself enhanced the movie, but also the movie enhanced the legacy of the song. Both mm. parties. It, it yeah. did. It, it opened up to a whole new generation. It, it brought the song to my generation. Mm. What 100%. A good, what a great line as well, because it is a line that represents the internal struggle that he is currently facing. You mm. know, is his home with them or is yeah. his home with, you know, his mm. ideals as a journalist? Yeah. Two odd. Square of 100, Liam. I'm going to give it a 99. I think it's close to perfect as you can get. Anyone? 95. Good mm. journal movie. 93. Mm. 90 because I hate journos. <laughs> <laughs> you don't read them, mate. You don't read them. You don't read them. You don't read them. 89. I've got a small head. I've got a small <laughs> head. You're a little pinhead over there. Not pinhead. reading. You're not oh, no. reading pinhead. We're gonna, I'll tell you what. Off the back of that, what we're going to do, we're going to take a break and we'll do greatest song placements in film history.